0: Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney and a partner with the law firm of Mauck and Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. You can learn more about us by going to maukbaker.com. that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or call 312-726-1243. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for news and info about the law and about faith. We all know on this station that we are made in the image of God. So how do some of the trends in society regarding the sanctity of human life, which seem so wrong and unethical, how do we work with those? Are you unsure how to respond to the normalization of abortion and the devaluing of human life in this current age? Are you wondering about all of the changes that are taking place with regard to genetics and the human body? If so, this is a show for you. Today our guest is Dr. Paige Comstock Cunningham, Executive Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, a center of rigorous research, theological and conceptual analysis, and thoughtful engagement. Dr. Cunningham has published numerous articles, editorials, and chapters uh, in these areas of law, bioethics, and public policy, and she has testified before Congress and state legislative committees. I first met Dr. Cunningham when she was an attorney working with Americans United for Life in the late 80s or the early 90s. Uh, Dr. Paige Cunningham, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Rich. It's so good to be with you in person in the studio. Uh,
0: Paige, this is such an important topic. And I look at bioethics. Um, you got involved in this. in, in When did you start with um, Americans United for Life?
1: I started first as a law student back in 1980. And oh, Rich, you're making me tell how old (laughs) I am. (laughs) I graduated a
0: little bit before that.
1: So now things are really getting serious.
0: Okay. So, and then you went with Americans United for Life and you were working specifically with the abortion issue at that time. And uh, Americans United for Life has been a great uh, institution working for incremental change to um, reduce the effects of abortion with the hope of someday absolutely eliminating it. But through incremental.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. And their successes are piling up in every state. It's been quite phenomenal.
0: It It's really exciting to see that. Um, but what's it been, 50 years or? or More than 40. Yeah, more than 40, as both of you and I are, apparently. So at any rate, um, I look at the abortion issue as, uh, in a college course, would be uh, Human Life 101. It is the taking of human life in a very serious thing. But you're involved in in what I would call Human Life 404 now, a, an advanced course in college. And it's looking at not just taking of human life, but really the altering of what we know human life to be. It's a very, very serious issue. Um, And I'm I'm thinking particularly of an article I read in the Wall Street Journal recently about how we want to bring back the dodo bird and the woolly mammoth and and how they're doing all this genetic engineering in order to try to do that, Um, tinkering with what it means to be a human. Give us some background on what your um, center is doing.
1: Well, first of all, let me explain what bioethics is. All
0: right. It's a great question. Because when
1: I tell people what I do, either – It's going to be a really interesting conversation or there's going to be some awkward silence and we're going to move on to talking about the uh, hors d'oeuvres. But bioethics, the way that we engage with it is simply how do we make wise decisions in our use of medical technologies now, the field's much bigger than that, but to help people get their hands around it, of course, it involves abortion, beginning of life issues, but you might also think of end of life issues. So people would say, well, pulling the plug, that would be an example. And there's a whole range of issues in between, and we'll probably get into talking about some of those. But for Christians, bioethics is where does this intersect with who we are as human beings and how we treat our own bodies and how we respect the bodies of others. And the so bio, dealing with life, and ethics, dealing with making good decisions. You might say moral decisions. And it's becoming as where bioethics from a Christian perspective is becoming increasingly distinct from where the culture of research and medicine is going.
0: Well, your center, now you're up at um, Trinity, I believe. Yes, we're
1: at Trinity Inter- International University up in Deerfield.
0: And how long has your center been going?
1: We just celebrated our 25th anniversary. You, I, we are here I for the long time. I did not know term. that. I
0: didn't remember that. That's that's amazing. All right, and um, so it, it's looking at technology, but another part of your center is theology. I
1: believe. Well, absolutely. Bioethics is interdisciplinary. You can't you can't strip out theology. The the secular field of bioethics has done that. It started with theological reflection. It didn't, and then philosophy came in, and then technology. But it involves Theology, philosophy, medicine, law is very important because of all the policy sure. intersections. Engineering, mass computation, robotics. I mean, it is it is so interdisciplinary that it's kind of hard to say nobody belongs to this conversation. It, I think everybody has a voice, whether professionally or personally.
0: This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker from the law firm of Malkin Baker. And today... Uh, Dr. Paige Cunningham is with us to discuss the bioethics and the church's involvement in the ethical dilemmas of the day. So I want to just focus you. Um, you say everybody should have a place at this table talking, but oftentimes um, theology gets crowded out. D- tell me a little bit about that, and, and what is the theology of bioethics?
1: Well, that's, the I think, the starting point for us. It's in our name. We are the center for um, bioethics and human dignity, it could have, we could have just been the center for bioethics. Right. The field of bioethics includes things such as animal rights and environmental issues, and and so on that are of interest to us as Christians. But we're concerned about human dignity because we make a special claim about the human body, the human person, and who counts as a human person. And so that's where the debates start. And if if you exclude the theological then you really lift out what is the heart, which is why should we care about what some people do to other people if we have no particular value in and of ourselves?
0: I always start, and tell me if I'm uh, correct in this, the reason that we have this dignity or the reason that we have this value is because Scripture teaches us we're created in the image of God. And I believe that's where it begins in terms of our value. Would, would you agree with that? Or do you-
1: Absolutely. It's it's what we would call intrinsic value versus imputed value, which is other people determining whether or not your life is worth maintaining or worth welcoming.
0: So, so help help me out on that. Um, where do we see uh, this um, value that others have? How does that work out in the in the world of bioethics?
1: Well, you you mentioned you know we're. and 4.4, we actually have sort of two ways of thinking about bioethics. The 1.0 questions are the easier ones. These are the questions of who counts? You know, what are the boundaries of human life? Who gets a seat at the table?
0: Okay, and and as soon as I hear that, I hear questions like, um, in 1855 in the United States, uh, black people didn't count. They weren't considered as persons at that time. They didn't have any rights. Or I now think in in, uh, 2018, uh, children, unborn children don't count. They're, they don't get a seat at the table. They don't have any rights. Uh, is that what you're that's talking abso- about? That's
1: absolutely right. So the, the notion of who counts as a human person, and that's different than dignity. But uh, in Bioethics 1.0, it's about taking life. So I, you've already listed some of those who are vulnerable, who are not so welcome at the table of protection. It would be the very young, the very old, the very sick, the very disabled, and the very mentally compromised. And they have – their status is much more precarious in terms of what can be done for them or to them and how they can be used to benefit others.
0: Tell me a little bit more in America today. You said their status is very compromised. What do you mean – how do we see that? What do you you see?
1: Well, they have status on three levels – First of all, there's the biological level, and that's sort of uncontestable. Biology is what it is, um, and the human life starts at fertilization. And there's a whole field of systems biology that's very interested in how the human being develops over time. There's the philosophical level, and that's where they're saying the moral status—that's who counts as a quote person.
0: You can, who has rights under our law? Who has
1: who has moral rights? And and gets it gets protection, and then the third one is legal status because the legal status of personhood doesn't always align with the philosophical moral status, which shows that there's a great deal of confusion. The advantage we have as Christians is we can be consistent. We can value that life equally from conception through natural death, and not and not make distinctions about who is more worthwhile or more worthy than someone else. But this is the these are the issues that we are contesting in the public square because there is. There's um, one well-known bioethicist who said human dignity is a useless concept and that dignity just doesn't get us anywhere. Um, I think dignity is extremely important. You could also say sanctity of life. Um, that word has, other, has additional richness of depth. Or you can talk about respect for human persons, which is something that's more global in, in how people respond to that terminology.
0: We're coming up on a break, but before we do... What would you say is the, the state of affairs in the United States, is human life being more respected or less respected at this point?
1: It depends what you mean by respect. I was thinking about the human embryo um, this just this morning as I was preparing for a talk, and the there's a great deal of interest in the human embryo because of technology and research. But it's not for the sake of that embryo. It's for the sake of what they can learn from the embryo or do to the embryo, whether it's to test drugs or study development or to do other kinds of experiments to follow infertility.
0: Coming up, we will be talking further with Dr. Paige Cunningham about current issues relating to bioethics and what we can do to address them. I'm Rich Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we are here talking with Dr. Paige Cunningham of the Center of Bioethics and Human Dignity. Uh, Dr. Cunningham, when we finished up the last segment, we were talking about uh, using uh, embryos for experimentation for the good of mankind, as it's always argued. What's wrong with that?
1: It all depends on what or who you think the embryo is. If you think the embryo is simply you know, human biological material, then it's a great thing. If you think it's an inexhaustible resource, then it's a great thing. If you're okay with somebody else deciding whether a human organism has value, then it's a great thing. But if you actually think that human beings matter because of who they are, not what they can do for someone else, and it's not a great thing. The view that Embryos can be used for medical research as a, you know, a valuable but, you know, wonderful and useful medical resource. That's actually an example of utilitarianism, which is that the end justifies the means. And if you think that embryos should be used by whoever wants that, then talk to parents whose embryos were destroyed when an IVF clinic power went out and all the embryos thawed and they died. To them, those embryos were infinitely valuable and represented their future children.
0: So where are we in in the law on on this kind of experimentation? In the United States and around the world?
1: It's mostly handled by regulation. Now, Rich, you know the law with respect to custody of frozen embryos and so on that these have been battles back and forth, and the embryo has some kind of a middle tier such as special respect. And in almost every legal battle— the presumption against parentage or involuntary parenthood wins. So whoever doesn't want the embryos is usually who wins in the court battle, not the one who wants to protect them. Mm. So we have the legal status of special respect, which still means you can kill them, but you have to feel bad about it first, you know, and, and get consent and all those things. So this ambiguous status then opens the door For regulators to allow certain kinds of human experimentation to go forward if there are appropriate guidelines. Uh, The most liberal place in the world right now in terms of their formal legal structure is the UK.
0: It's interesting. I was going to say China.
1: I don't know as much about the legal structures of China, and it may happen more informally because they simply don't regulate it. The, The UK actually has the human fertilization and embryology authority that decides what kinds of experimentation can proceed forward, such as the, the three-parent embryo, human-animal hybrids, all those sorts of things. They seem to be pretty welcoming to, to so, say, come and do it here.
0: You're just kind of rolling off certain things like the three-parent embryo. What is the three-parent
1: <laughs> embryo? A child has been born from this process. Um, if you're familiar with cloning, where an egg nucleus is removed and the nucleus from a cell from another Um, person's body is put in there, and then it's stimulated to divide. That's how you clone. That's one method. It's called somatic cell nuclear transfer. Well, they're taking the same technology and then transferring it to a different problem, which is that not all of our DNA is inside our nucleus. There's also DNA in the material around the nucleus called the mitochondria. And those are the, the battery packs. Those are the powerhouses of the cell. And if they have mutations, these can cause some pretty serious diseases, often lethal, and you know, sometimes children don't make it through five years of age. So a mother who wants to have a child would love to get rid of the outside material and keep the healthy nucleus. Hmm. So there are a couple of ways to do it. The simplest one is you take a donor egg, remove that nucleus, and then take the nucleus from the mother's cell and put it into that egg and then fertilize it with the father's sperm. It can also be done where you have the fertilization and then you put the new nucleus in the egg. And so the child will be born with three genetic parents, two mothers and one father.
0: So unpack the ethics of that for me. I'm, I'm not sure I even know how to think about that as a, as a Christian.
1: Well, there are ethics on two levels. One is research ethics. How do we protect human subjects of research? And, and, the,
0: and you're looking, obviously, at the emb, embryo as a, a right, human subject. Right, because the intent
1: is for there to be a child. And so that child, the, so the, the going, little boy who's been born, he really should be a lifelong research subject because we have no idea the long-term consequences of tinkering with human DNA in this way.
0: So if, do you view that also as a human being even before uh, fertilization? How, how do you? No, it's
1: not a complete human being yet, but the question is, one of the key questions is, what right do we have to impose an increased risk of harm on our child? We all know that parents are called to lay down their lives for their children and to sacrifice for their children. This is not an accidental process. This is done with great intention and great deliberation. So a child is being brought into the world, subjected to harm before his or her little life has really gotten started. And every time you manipulate any part of the cell, there can be little micro harms that happen. We just really don't know. We thought that mapping the human genome would solve everything. And they're saying, you know what? It's a lot more complex than we thought. There's this area called epigenetics, which is how does a cell know which proteins to turn on and which ones to turn off? Because you have the entire DNA in every cell. Some cells know to become hair cells. Some know to become liver cells. How does that happen? It's not so simple as
0: we were told. you're updating me on my uh, science. It's been a while since I've been doing this. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the firm of Malkin Baker. We're speaking with Dr. Paige Cunningham about bioethics and why they matter to us as Christians. All right, so so where do we go with this? Um, what what do you see in the United States as the most uh, alarming or thought-provoking types of, of experimentation going on today
1: well first let me tell you the thinking trend and then that's why this is so popular okay. right. the trend yep. is we may have originally had some moral hesitancies but we don't want to get left behind and that's the main argument they're using now is it's happening in Britain it's happening in China as you said why are we our research is being hampered here in the U.S. and we're going to fall behind so that is pushing behind these technologies the genetic revolution is huge. I mean, this is kind of the next generation of medical research, and it, and it crosses a lot of different disciplines. There, you just don't have siloed research anymore. These are all feeding into one another, and I'm not even going to go through all the different disciplines that can be involved, but it's not just one person in a lab and a Petri dish. The other major technological revolution that is going to cause us to rethink what it means to be human is the whole area of brain-based technologies whether it's an implant or a a brain stimulus or some kind of an interface between the the brain and the computer or the brain and the outside world via some technological device. So so
0: it's brain
1: enhancement in a way. It could be. It could be. I mean, there's an interesting project that DARPA, which is the major government agency that funds these kind of exotic advanced research projects. It's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's a project for able-bodied, they call them warfighters. So these are normal soldiers and they're looking for a, a device, a cap that fits on the brain that stimulates the brain so that the soldier can interface with a computer to, for example, control drone strikes that are happening somewhere else or do other kinds of war fighting activities. Um, they're demanding that the device not be um, that there not be any intrusion into the brain, that it be safe and be reversible and no risk. And so this is, uh, two, I think it's part of a $2 billion project, and we're looking for a really highly souped up version of a thinking cap. This is the kind of research that's going on now, and the question is, one of the questions is, is this okay? Will, are these uh, soldiers going to be, are they experiments? What if it turns out that it's not reversible? What if they can't reenter society? The questions are so all just this, all the science
0: fiction that we've been watching is just coming.
1: Oh, it's hard to write science fiction anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah, it. Yeah, it's all happening right now. It, it is a pretty scary thing.
1: Um, so let me ask
0: you uh, a question: CRISPR and all of the gene technology that's taking place um, and how simple it is to do today. What does that mean for us as a human race?
1: Well, it's opening up the door to do-it-yourself humans. And CRISPR, for people who don't know, yeah. it's a gene editing technology. It's kind of like when you use your search and replace, find and replace function on your word processing to fix every time you've misspelled a word. It's a little bit like that, where you, if there's a mutation on a gene, this little protein comes in, snips out the bad gene, puts in a good gene or a good segment of a gene, not a whole gene. And this, has been, this is going on in active research right now. But you're right. You can actually buy these kits to do not so much in human beings, but to do experiments basically in your garage. So we have what's called the citizen scientist experimenting with snipping bits of DNA and seeing what they can come up with.
0: Obviously, as Christians, we realize that we're in a fallen world. And so any technology that has a value can also be used in ways to harm and, and I think I have a great concern about that. In, in the remaining time that I have, tell us a little bit more about the center and some of the things you're doing with the center.
1: Well, let me first say that the center works not only on these weird, cutting-edge issues, but we have a lot of resources on the issues that people will face in their everyday life, whether it's dealing with infertility or an end-of-life decision. So, so
0: end-of-life being your mom's dying. And, that's and, right. And what do I do?
1: It's a big question. As and a
0: Christian, how do I handle that?
1: How do we die well? How do we die faithfully as As Christian? a matter of fact,
0: it, when my mom was dying, I relied on many of the uh, pieces written by your center, Uh to really have some idea of how to handle those issues,
1: that makes me happy because that's why we create them. And almost everything can be accessed through our main portal, which is where our, our website centerforbioethics.org, and then there are links to resources throughout our um, all of our websites.
0: You're also doing uh, seminars and teaching, I believe
1: we do and our major one is our summer conference it's so exciting next summer in next june 2019 we're going to be addressing end of life issues the title of our conference is taking care perspectives for the end of life and this is one that's going to really get into the issues that the questions that we get asked the most frequently how do we die well
0: so we go to the website and do all that
1: you can do all that
0: all right uh if you have a legal need or a question and want a perspective from a local Christian attorney, contact us at Mauk and Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at mauckbaker.com. Paige, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, there are so many more questions. I hope to do a second interview with you.
1: Oh, let's do it soon. All right. You're going to
0: have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody.